excited to talk a little bit about the, uh, what about Tim? If you've been here over the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about this series and this guy named Timothy. What about Tim? I've learned a lot from his life. A lot of things I didn't know about Timothy until doing this series. And so I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm going to wrap it up today. And we're going to talk about Timothy. He finished well. He finished well. I'm going to tell you a little bit about traditionally what they say happened to Timothy in a moment. But before I do that, the question I have for you is how many leaders in the Bible, especially let's take the Old Testament, how many of them finished well? You ever thought about that? The percentage is not very high. Now, it doesn't mean they missed heaven. It just means that there's enough failure in the Bible for all of us that I think we need to absolutely put some safeguards in our life to say, if it happened to Moses, if it happened to King David, if it happened to Samson, if it happened to Noah, if it happened to some of the great people of Scripture and, and their failures are, are marked, and I love that about the Bible, it tells it like it is, but we need to pay attention if we're going to finish well. Because let me tell you something, finishing well does not happen automatically. You're going to have to be really intentional if you want to finish this race with God and finish well. Have you ever started a project and you just didn't quite get it done? And ten years later you're still looking at it? (laughs) Until you throw it away? Right? It's a challenge for us. And so today I just want to open your life up. And Timothy finished well. It is not a place in the Bible that says, and Timothy on this day died. And he died of this. But... Scholars, historians, both secular and non-secular, talk about traditionally how this young man named Timothy uh, passed away. Uh, according to this tradition uh, and some of these writings, Paul ordained Timothy as bishop in the city of Ephesus in about A.D. 65. And uh, he lived and he served there for about 15 years. And then in 80 A.D., some scholars think it was closer to 97 A.D., Timothy would have been about 80 years old. He, uh, he took a stand in a pagan march of idol worship, and he basically tried to halt it, and he was beaten for doing that at age 80. Then he came back to preach the gospel, the truth, in this polarizing situation, and they actually beat him and stoned him to death, and he died uh, in the street. Timothy finished well. Timothy didn't just decide he would take his retirement and buy a boat and move to the Caribbean. Though that's not a bad idea. Um, nothing wrong if you have the financial means to be able to, to think about what you want to do in your future. But please hear me. The word retirement is really not in this book. Now, you can retire from work and occupation, and I get that, and I hope you can. But my point is, regardless of your age or your situation or your abilities or disabilities, God has a mission for your life every day of your life. And you don't have to shrink back from that. And so let's know that. Let's go in with our eyes open. Timothy finished well. There's a passage in Hebrews that just captured me throughout this week. I've just been reading it. Over and over. Because it's like a formula for finishing well. And it does involve Timothy, but it's just one sentence that involves him. But I'm going to read it. It's in Hebrews 13. It starts with verse 18. And part of it is just a blessing that the writer of Hebrews is praying over these people. But I want to read it. If you want to close your eyes and listen, that's fine. Pray for us, 
For our conscience is clear, and we want to live honorably in everything we do. What a statement. And especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Isn't that a great statement? And ratified an eternal covenant with His blood. May He equip you with all you need for doing His will. May He produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to Him. All glory to Him forever and ever. Amen. Then verse 22. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, pay attention to what I have written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. This is happening in Timothy's life, in his ministry, that he is still solid. He's being persecuted. He's in jail because he's preaching the truth. If he comes here soon, I will bring him with me to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send their greetings. May God's grace be with you all. The point I want to make in this is that Timothy did not have it easy. Sometimes we think people who finish well, people who have a lot of money, people who have, quote, success, have an easy life. Timothy was a hard worker. He started out as a young man who was kind of intimidated. Um, He didn't really want the mantle of leadership. It's obvious by some of the letters that Paul wrote to him. We've been looking at that. So today, I've just taken six ideas and observations from his life in a big general sense and kind of organized them in a way to say to us, if we want to finish strong, we can do that by doing some of the things Timothy did. Because here's a guy who did, in fact, finish strong. And so let's look at his life. In your bulletin, it says six observations about finishing strong from Timothy's life. Number one, I will make a clear decision about the priorities in my life. I will make a clear decision. Now, that's important that we make it clearly, but it's also important that next word about the priorities that I have in my life. I said it before, if you finish well, it's not going to be an accident. It's going to be because you intentionally set out to accomplish these things. That's why weekends like this are important. That we talk about life. It's why as a church we focus on how can we develop concepts and ideas from Scripture that allow us to be in this for the long haul. In Acts chapter 16, we have the introduction to Timothy. Now, we talked about this a few weeks back, but I want to read it again and talk about it from a different perspective for a few moments. Acts 16.1 Paul went first to Derby, then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. I want you to just note that in your mind, the differences. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and in Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews in the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. How many of you were here on the weekend when we talked about circumcision and the, you know, the issues there? So I'm not planning on getting into all that again. But it was a big step of commitment for Timothy to say, yes, I'm going to do what God is asking me to do. In more ways than one. He made a lot of commitments. 
But as I read this again and I looked at it these last few weeks, I'm, I'm thinking about possible issues that could have made Timothy say no. You know, he could have said, I, I'm just not sure I want to do this. Here's a guy who, who probably, he knew how young he was. It's, it's throughout the Word of God, even in the letters from Paul, it talks about his youth. And so he's being asked to be a leader when he's younger than most leaders are. And in the Jewish world, that's a big deal. Age is a big factor and should be in life experience. And so Timothy could have said, I'm really not interested in, in prioritizing my life based on godly principles. I'm just too young. You know, how many of you know we're in a culture where a lot of young people are kind of saying, you're only young once, do everything you've ever wanted to do and, and live it up. And, and they don't realize sometimes, young people listen to me, those of you here today, uh, the scars that can come into your life that affect you 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So it's imperative for us, like Timothy, to say, I'm not going to use that as a cop out. Even being young, I am going to do what God puts in my heart to do. I'm going to have a clear decision about priorities that I want in my life, even as a young person. And I'm not going to waver on that. I'm going to trust God to help me to do it. Another thing I saw in this text is that really Timothy could have said, well, I don't come from the best home. Now, there's nothing in Scripture that says his dad was a jerk. We know his mom was awesome. And his grandma was awesome. They're talked about in Scripture. We've talked about it over the last few weeks. But nothing really said about his dad other than that he wasn't Jewish. Uh, he probably wasn't a follower of Christ. He was Greek and, and there are a lot of issues. He could have said, I come from a home that doesn't have harmony in its spiritual journey. And yet he didn't use that as a cop-out or an excuse. It's obvious that his dad released him to go do this. But who knows, kind of the battles inside the walls. And I thought of that because I know so many people in our culture today who kind of say, well, you don't know my, what my home life was like. You don't know my dad. If you knew my mom, and there's a thought, okay? <laughs> How many of you have a mom or a dad? Yeah. There, there are issues in your life because of that heritage you have. And it's easy to excuse yourself from prioritizing your life in a meaningful way for the purposes of God based on you just can't because. And I'd like to just pull that forward a little bit in you today. And I'd like to say, God is a God who heals us. God is a God who helps us. It doesn't mean we eradicate our past. We can't. But we have a God who heals those wounds. And He can bring you to a place where you can make good decisions and have clarity about the priorities that you're making in your life. Regardless of your past, God can help you. Um, all these things. I just, I'll finish this point by saying, if I said, write down two or three or four top priorities in your life, that when you get to the end, if you knew the day you were going to die, you could say, if I've accomplished this, I've lived the life that God's asked me to live. What would they be? Could you write them down right now? Three to four things. I, I hope this week you'll work on that. I've done that. And I think it's important because it changes every day when you say, I'm working for these priorities. This is what I want in my life. Uh, number two in your outline is, I will submit myself to proper authority. And notice the word proper is there. Authority can be abusive. I get that. But I'm talking about proper authority. And what is that? We're going to look at, in Timothy's life, what that was. When, when Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, he brings this up. And, he, and he's talking about suffering. So let me read it and follow along. 2 Timothy 2, starting with verse 3. 
endure suffering along with me. And then he gives three analogies of three different groups of people. Okay, let's find them. As a good soldier. The soldier is the first one. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. We'll talk about that in a second. Then he talks about athletes. Athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. The rules become the authority that I submit to. And hardworking farmers. And, and in the original language here, there's, it's a word that deals with comparison. Kind of like uh, a, a farmer that doesn't work hard at all versus someone who works hard. A hardworking farmer should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand these things. That first analogy of a soldier, he's basically saying they have a specific job that they are called to do and they are not going to be distracted from their greater purpose. Now, how, how many of you get distracted easily? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know some people get distracted more easily than others. Others have tunnel vision and you can't get their attention if you yell at them in the middle of their concentrating on something. But it's easy to become distracted. Paul is saying, don't become distracted. And then he talks about athletes. Um, the rules matter. It's so interesting that every game in life, every sport in life, has rules. And if you don't follow the rules, you can be disqualified. You know, I, I enjoy golf once in a while. And one interesting thing about golf, if you don't show up at the tee time you've been assigned, if you're so many minutes late, you're disqualified. No matter who you are, how good you are, if you're enjoying a nice omelet in the house there, and you decide, they don't just say, oh, we'll put you at another tea time in a half an hour. No, you're done. It's over. You go home. The rules matter. <laughs> I, I had a... I hate to tell you this in some ways, but it's a true story of, of my bout with, with solitaire. Have you ever played the game solitaire? Um, I've never been a solitaire player, okay? So this is sort of new to me. I'm, I'm venturing out. I'm not a big game player on the computer. And, uh, but they have this game called solitaire. And, and you stack the cards, you know, a certain way. How many of you have played solitaire? I, this is kind of got to see. Okay, okay. You, you'll get this. And there's this rule that that you've got all your cards laid out, and there's this rule that says, you know, you turn them over three at a time, right? And you have to use the top one before you can use the next one. But it's inevitable that it's the next one that I always need. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about here? And it's so frustrating because you see the card laying there. And it fits right here. And it's right there. And I win more often when I do that. But when I try that with the computer, it doesn't let me move it down. Do you know the frustration? It says, no, no, no. You cheater, you cheater, you cheater. <laughs> See, it just, it just, when it's just a card, it's just, it's just a game. See, what happens is there are rules. You're not playing the game when you don't go by the rules. And, and there are, there's a sense in which we as the people of God live under this wonderful mandate. It's an opportunity to please God. It's not the rule book where He's smashing us. That's why we at Timberline, we don't have a list. Okay, here's the list of rules that if you're going to be a Christian, you don't do this and you do do this. It's easier to do that than it is to say, engage your brain with God. 
Work out your salvation. There are absolutes. I get that. I know that. But let's pay attention. Paul's trying to make this point. Then he uses the farmer. And the farmer is an analogy really about discipline. Saying that if you work hard, there's fruit at the end. So that's why in our lives we work hard. We pay attention to submit ourselves to the right kind of authority so that we can be in it for the long haul. I want you to finish well. I want to finish well. Number three. I will learn to be strong when facing opposition. Man, it's easy to be strong when things are going well. It's easy to be strong when uh, you've got some money in the bank and you've got a good job and life's good and you're enjoying your health and all of that. You know, but what about when you're really facing obstacles? What about when it's not going so well? What about when uh, you don't know why this happened to you? I see Christians all over say, where did God go? Because they equate God with my want list. And God's less interested in our want list than He is the development of our lives. And that's a challenge right now, especially in America. The American church just has so many expectations about life, prosperity, health, everything. God, you owe me this. You do this. I follow you because you promised this. And we make up His promises. But we, we, we really kind of believe them. And then when we're disappointed, we blame God. And people who you think are solid in their faith with God, all of a sudden they're saying, I don't know if there's a God anymore because He didn't do this. Why did this happen? And facing opposition is a part of our journey. If you want to go in the long haul, you're going to have to know that you're going to face opposition. Let me just read from 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. That implies that people did think less of Timothy because he was young and inexperienced. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. A few weeks ago we broke all of those down, so I won't do that again. But the, the initial statement there, Timothy faced opposition of people who did not believe in him. They would not listen to him. They did not hear him. They said, you're too young. What do you know? You've never led before. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he had to face this. And Paul's saying, face this opposition. Don't let that happen. So it, it kind of poses a question for me. Um, can you actually make someone think more of you? Can you control the people who think less of you? Can you get in their brain and trick them? Can you give them a little something in their tea or coffee that they drink it and they say, oh, now I believe in you. You, you can't control what someone else says about you. It's very frustrating, especially when it's just an, an outright lie. And you kind of just have to live under this. That's why Paul finishes this statement. He says, Timothy, you're going to face opposition. There are going to be people who don't believe in you. They just don't like your success. They just don't like whatever. But you keep on doing these things because all of the things he lists after that are the things that in the long haul will prove your faithfulness to God. And the only way you can prove that person wrong who thinks less of you is when you finish well. When you continue on the pattern. Because when you mess up, they say, told you, caught you. But the bottom line is, when we walk with God and we walk in obedience, we have the opportunity to continue to bring glory to God through our life and through our lifestyle and who we are and everything that happens in the filters of our minds. 
So let's be people who are not afraid to face opposition. We're in a, we're in a time right now, economically, and I know it's a challenge. Some of you have lost your job. Your credit score is going to go to nothing. You're going to lose a house. Some of you have. We're praying with you at Timberline. We're, we're taking all this stuff as seriously as we know how to help partner with people. But don't get confused about God in this trial. God is still God. God still loves you. God is still with you. Let your maturity grow deeper to something of a root system that is not based on just the circumstances of your life. Let's breathe that in today. We're in a culture that just doesn't do that well. This is actually our season. That's why we can't shrink back right now. As a church, we need to be more aggressive than ever to say, we are the people of God. They may take our house. They may take our lives. I might die. I don't know what's going to happen. I might be shot someday for believing in Jesus. Oh, well, there is still a God. And I'm still going to live my life for Him. So you and I are the people who have to make that statement and, and have that light come out of us when it's dark. The salt and light moments are in times just like we are in, only worse. Will we be that? I'm reading stuff. Man, you wouldn't believe what some of the pastors or my friends I'm talking to. I mean, there's gloom, doom, despair. And it's like, let's all move away and go to the mountains and put up tents and, you know, be with the Lord and, you know, watch the world. It's all going to, you know. You know, can I just tell you? God's not all that nervous. He's not. We, we feel the anxiety, and, and it's true, and, and you know, just you watch the news, you, you get caught up in it. And I just want to say, let's be people who pay attention to all the opposition, no matter what they vote on with, you know, certain lifestyles and abortion, and no matter what, no matter how liberal the agendas are, no matter, God is still God. And we do our part, we work, we labor, we try, we get out there, we do everything within our power, but we don't lose our faith. We don't lose our hope, but we present our hope in the name of the Lord in times when it's dire and it's tough. That's when we have to face op- opposition and be strong in the strength of the Lord. i got to hurry. Number four, I will transition from compliance to willful decision. Now, this may be the most important thing I say all morning. So please look at that statement, write it down, and just think about it for just a second here. I'll transition from compliance, from being compliant, to actually making a willful decision about my life, my beliefs, who I am. Okay, what's the difference between those two? I'll show you the difference. Timothy, how much of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, is Timothy doing what Paul said to do? Timothy, appoint elders. Here's what you're looking for. Boom, 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 boom. Find those people. Appoint them this way. Do this. Pray in this way. Here's how you have faith. Do this, do that, do that. And Timothy's going, yes, sir. Go, Paul. And I think in his young, youthful leadership, there were times, especially in Ephesus, as he faced some big obstacles there, a very pagan world, when people in the church weren't following him, that he said something like this. Paul said so. Because Paul was a leader. Paul was tough. Paul was kind of like, you know, if Paul said it, then he's not backing down. But who is Timothy? And there, there was years where Timothy was compliant. 
He went the places Paul said to go. He carried his bag. He followed him. He planted churches. He worked in churches. But when was it? When did it happen? When Paul was gone? When did it happen? When Timothy said, I'm not just doing what Paul asked me to do. I am a laborer for my God. I will do what God puts in my heart to do. I really believe this. When do you go from your mama's faith to your real faith? When do you go from a heritage of Christianity to having it settle into your spirit and you now know what you believe and you really believe it? It's not just an image in your life. It's not just so you can live well and prosper. And you attach Christianity to the banner of your life. It's that there's something in the core of you that says, I do believe. I believe in this God. I will die for Him. I give my life for Him. That's when you move from compliance to willful decision. It's no longer Paul said. Now it's something real in your life. It's not just following the rules. It's something that's godly. The other day I was with Bonnie and we were going down Shields Avenue going north. And I looked up and about two blocks out, just off of of Shields, I saw a police car parked sideways. I, I instantly hit my brake. Why, why would I do that? <laughs> Habit, guilt. I looked down at my speedometer. It was 35 miles an hour. I was going 36. I felt suddenly comforted. But, but I just initially hit my brake. I'm thinking, why, why would that be my first response? Because there's, there's authority there that can enforce damage to my life. If I am not obeying the law, right? So, so I initially just wanted to meet that need. Was I willfully, was I saying in my spirit, I want to drive 35 because that's the law? I, I'm sure I was. <laughs> I'm sure I was. What's well, so funny though is after I looked down and Bonnie's sitting there smiling and, uh, I said, I'm going 36. Man, I took my foot off that brake. I'm like, how you doing today? Good to see you. Glad you're out there doing your job. Get those bad guys. Wow. I, I love the story of the young gal who's sitting there on the counter watching her mom put a roast in the oven. And, and she twits the roast on the counter and chops off both ends and puts it in the pan, puts it in the oven. And the little girl says, why do you cut off both ends of the roast when you put it in the pan? And mom says, um, I don't know. My mom always did that. I watched her. And that's just what you do, honey. And she said, well, can we call grandma and ask her? She said, sure. So she, little girl calls her grandma and says, we just cut the ends of the roast off before we put it in the oven, but we don't know why. Why do you cut the ends off of a roast before you put it in the oven? And her grandma said, oh, honey, it was just that I didn't have a pan big enough for the roast. <laughs> You know, as, as crazy as that seems, I fear that sometimes in our, our, our spiritual experience, we just do what someone else has always done. Now, that's not necessarily bad, but we need to know why we believe. We need to move from someone telling us to actually owning our relationship with our Lord. Number five, I will never stop fulfilling my purpose. I'll never stop fulfilling my purpose. If you want to finish strong, you're going to continue to live every day 
for the glory of God. I, I think of Hope Herman, who stood on this platform before her death, and we listened to that little gal as we listened to her recording of In Christ Alone. She's with Christ today. How does that happen? I'll tell you how. She, she finished. She, she went all the way to the end. She was not going to give up. She was passionately engaged. I think of so many who have gone on, whether they're old or young. There's this something that says, I'm in this for the long haul. When we stop doing our purpose, we cannot do that. It's haunting to me when I read in, in Scripture this passage about David with Bathsheba. He says, it says this, when kings go off to war, next line, David stayed home. David ceased doing his purpose. You know what the next line says? He walked out onto the terrace and looked down and saw Bathsheba bathing. We know the rest of the story. See, the moment we stop doing what God asks us to do and we have idle time and we give ourselves to all that other stuff, it's the beginning of the end. I never will stop fulfilling my purpose, oh God. Help us. And lastly, I realize that the finish line is when I die. It's the death of me. It's, it's when I'm done. I don't know when that day. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 50 years from now. I don't know. How would you like to show up at a race tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock and uh, you got your shoes on, you're ready to go, and they say, okay, uh, take your mark. And you say, what, 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 where, where are we running to? Where's the finish line? And they say, we'll tell you when you get there. No, I've got to know because I, I might, if I, I don't want to waste all my energy here. I might run too fast. I need to save up. How, we'll just tell you when you don't know. You're never going to know. That's this race. It's just we show up, we get our shoes on in the morning, and we say, God, what is today? I want to do this in the long haul because it might be that I don't have another day. I don't know. I just know yesterday at 4.05 p.m., we met right out here outside the front door of our church. And we released some balloons in the name of Liz Miller. A little gal who one year ago yesterday at 4.05 just had a seizure and went home to be with Jesus. Working with youth, great, talented, a part of Jim and Susanna, part of our church. Many of you know them well. I share this with permission. I know this. Liz is with the Lord and she fulfilled her purpose on this earth. You say, well, she was too young. I agree, but I'm not God. You're not God. We don't know all of that stuff. That's why we live in trust and in faith every day to the fullest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. It's so challenging. I'm challenged by this. Help us, Lord. Help us to find that second win. Empower people to believe in the long haul for their singleness and purity, for their marriage. Empower us, God, to fight for things that are right and honorable in your name. Not because someone told us to, but because we know and we're living it in accordance to your will. Show us, oh God. You're not finished. With heads bowed, I just want to say this to you. You're not finished. You say, well, you know what? I've lived my life. No, no, no you haven't. You're still living. Do your work. The kingdom needs you to do your work. We need you to do it. Lord, I pray over those who need to do their work. Put a passion in us to do it for the long haul. And God, I pray for those who, who are moving from compliance to willful decision today. 
they will absolutely positively do this from their own free will to say, I, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Thanks for that heart, God. For those that don't know you in this room right now, just let them make a willful decision to say, I'm going to follow you, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. I confess it to you now. I believe you died on that cross for me. And I trust you with my future. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please, if you're able? I want us to have one closing prayer for Easter in two weeks. Next week, Palm Sunday, then Easter. Think about who you're going to bring. Think about that invitation. Lord, we ask you to stir this community. Northern Colorado, stir us as we come into Easter. Perhaps the greatest opportunity ever with economics the way they are, the challenges of hope that people have. They might be looking more now than they were last year or the year before the year before. So let us take advantage of this moment to celebrate your resurrection. Empower us to be bold and yet kind and gracious and real. Send us out of here to let love live and let us live to the finish line and finish well. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. God bless you. Our prayer team is up here. If you want to pray with someone, come on up. Have a great weekend.